It is a blessing to be here this morning. I want to greet you in Jesus' name. Welcome our visitors. I ask that you continue to share our blessings, God's blessings with you. Appreciate your presence here. This morning we want to go into another of our lost friends, I like to think of them. Um, Come to appreciate the uh, Minor Prophets. And uh, it's like uh, some of the people that you hear about and you feel that I would like to get to know that person. And uh, as I've gone through the Minor Prophets coming or going through the Minor Prophets, I uh, have begun to see them as great heroes of God. Stepping out of their setting and preaching uh, salvation, preaching uh, condemnation to sin, and uh, doing it in a way that uh, I don't think they were highly accepted. I think they were looked at as the strange of the world, and uh, those that uh, probably they were looked at as radicals, and yet they stood for what was right, And uh, one thing that I notice is that they often speak about the vision of the Lord, or the Lord said to me, and uh, they expressed what God showed them. Turn to the book of Obadiah. How many of you read the book of Obadiah? Oh, yes, no wonder. There's only 21 verses, right? Shortest book in the Old Testament. Good practice. Now you're ready for Jonah. So... uh, I am blessed by uh, seeing you read these, taking the interest in it. And uh, <clears throat> my, uh, my fear is sometimes that I uh, come to uh, these prophets and I stand here and give you all the history and we don't get a spiritual value out of it. So if you come to the end, if we come to the end of this message and you haven't received a spiritual challenge, You wave your hand and say, what am I supposed to learn? Okay, these are here for our learning. And uh, remember that in 2 Timothy. What is uh, interesting about the book of Obadiah? I just want to open it. Do you have any questions, comments, or thoughts that you received as you read it? As I approached the book and being so short, I thought, well, it'll be a short message. Sorry, boys. It's been very interesting to study Obadiah. It's been very interesting to get to know him. The name Obadiah means servant of the Lord or worshiper of the Lord, worshiper of Yahweh. And uh, anybody find any history about him? Did you do any research? Found two that were very possible, very opposite, and one that is a challenge to me. Any idea about Obadiah? Look at the first verse. It says the vision of Obadiah, and that's it. Doesn't say where his fa- who his father was, where he was from. Nothing. Do you find anything anywhere? I found he was a prophet from Judah. Okay, a prophet from Judah. Okay, I can agree with that one. All right. I find it interesting to write our Jewish brethren's writing, uh, read our Jewish brethren's writing because they spend their lifelong studying these things and also other things that were written. Two things that came out was that he could possibly be a descendant of Eliphaz, Job's friend. Um. What I gained from that was, you know, really, Eliphaz probably had descendants. Who were they? I'm not sure what to think about that. Uh, That's possible. We're not going to base any doctrine on it. Second one, and this one stands as a challenge to me, that he was a convert to Judaism from Edom. You say, what? He was converted to Judaism and he ended up preaching against Edom? Um, I find that as a deep challenge. 
going to pick your brain a little bit. Who is Edom? What does Edom mean? It says, uh, the vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. So uh, he's going to talk about Edom. Who's Edom? Esau. Esau. Descendants of Esau. What's the real meaning of Edom? What does it really mean? If you look it up in Strong's, it has a definition. What does it mean? It means red. And uh, Esau got the nickname at the setting of him coming in from hunting, being hungry. Jacob having made a uh, stew of lentils. And he sold his birthright to Jacob because, uh, for... Uh, the stew, and then his name was called Edom. Now, if we really think about it, that would have been a very foolish thing for Esau to do. But uh, the stew, very likely, I always thought that it must have been he was a red complexion. The two things that I found is that Esau was called Edom because the stew was red. The lentils and the things that were in the stew very likely were red. And the second definition is that when the country of Edom, or the country of Esau, where they lived, the ground was red. So uh, take either one and, and, and uh, consider them. But we do have in Genesis, and I don't have the reference right here, but we do have that his name was called Edom. So uh, he was given the name of, of red, could we say. Um, the shortest book of the Old Testament, very possibly the least known book of the Old Testament. find that very interesting. Um, boys, you want to come find him? I forgot my one timeline, so we've only got one timeline. Why don't you, uh, Richard, come help me out, the three of you. Find Obadiah. The four of you, find it. Stretch it out. Go. Whoop, that's backwards. Don't go much further than that. Oh, this way. Where is Obadiah? Right there. What happened here? The kingdom of Israel. Are you sure? What happened here? What fell here? Something fell here. That was which one fell here and which one fell here? Which one went first? Remember? This is Israel. Fell. Went in captivity. What is this? Manasseh. Josiah. The kingdom of Judah. Judah. Okay, let's fold this together. Okay, thank you. You may go back to your seat. What we have here is the fall of kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom went into captivity. The line that goes down. Here we have the lineage of the kingdom of Judah that went into captivity. And right here we have Obadiah right after that. So we have Obadiah. I can get you boys to look. I'll give it to you. Who else was leaving the living when Prophet Obadiah was? Daniel? Who else? Ezekiel? What other prophet just passed away when Obadiah came? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Back here we have Nahum, we have Isaiah. Okay, just so you can visualize, so you can visualize that. Um, here's Daniel, here's Ezekiel, here's Jeremiah, and this scroll is Obadiah. Back here we have Isaiah, and we have Hosea, we have Nahum, here we have Jonah, Micah, Amos. Get a little bit of a picture there. Not everyone agrees with this, even as many of the others others uh, find, um, as we had seen in the other uh, 
timelines. This one that I often refer to, yes. Um, they think they think Obadiah. They think Obadiah was there because he had predicted. Well, that's within this this within this book. So is that when Israel was taken captive, or the kingdom of Judah? This is the kingdom of Judah. Here's the end of the kingdom of Judah. We have Obadiah here. We have Habakkuk. We have Daniel, and we have uh, Jeremiah. So so these right here. This is the this is the end of the kingdom of of Judah. And we have these prophets here. Now here's the end of the kingdom of Israel. And we have Hosea, Amos, Micah, and Isaiah at that time. So, uh, but uh, we'll come to that point a little bit later. That is a very good point that we'll uh, understand, uh, look at just a little bit later. There are actually other places that Obadiah could be. He doesn't give us the name of kings like some of the others have to know where he put them or know where to put him. In Second Chronicles 17, verse 7, there is um, a... Uh, in the time of uh, Jehoshaphat, There is, I'll read the verse, it says, Now therefore thus shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts. Sorry, that's first. I want second. Second Chronicles 17, verse 7. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hael, and to Obadiah, and to Zechariah, and to Nathanael, and to Micaiah, to teach in the cities of Judah. We have an Obadiah there, but we do, most writers do not think that this is the one. Um, so we have a prophet, a second prophet named Obadiah, and I think within Scripture there are twelve Obadiahs that we read about. And uh, so, uh, common name. That is mentioned. So, uh, probably not him. And then the, then the, the one that we looked at was during the reign of Jehoram, Amaziah, and Ahaz in the fall of Jerusalem in 586. Any other comments about the history before we go into the book? Anything else you found? Yes. Yes. Okay, so maybe maybe my it sounds like uh, my uh, uh, thoughts were right that it was because he was red. His hair was red. Okay. Does it say there that they called his name Edom? Then probably it doesn't happen till after till. Uh... Okay, that's interesting. Thanks, Josh. Twenty-five, twenty-five. Okay, still connected with red. Let's go to the book of, of Obadiah. And uh, the uh, just a little bit overview before we go into it. And one thing that I enjoyed about this was that it seemed like I was able to get my hands around it. Okay, understand it a little bit better. 21 verses, and understand the setting and how it is. Just a summary of the book, 1 to 9 is Edom's destruction foretold. 10 through 14, reasons for Edom's destruction. Verse 15 and 16, the day of the Lord. And 17 to 21, Israel's restoration foretold. And uh, so we have here the whole book talking against Edom or against Esau. And uh, <clears throat> I uh, appreciated the, uh, and as an introduction, I will read the introduction in the Sunday School Quarterly that has helped to prompt these messages. And uh, especially for you younger boys, you'll understand this maybe a little bit better with this, um, with this story. 
It says, Kent and Jack shared the same birthday. They lived in the same community. They attended the same school. They worshipped at the same church. Kent and Jack should have been friends, but they weren't. They both had competitive personalities. They both did well in school and vied for the top grades in their classes. They competed for the attention of their classmates and teachers. If Kent made a better grade than Jack, Jack ridiculed him or accused him of cheating. If Jack struck out at a ball game, Kent smirked about it and made fun of him to the others. Each boy found ways to belittle the other and made him look bad to to others. Each boy strained to outdo the other in sports, school, and possessions. Each boy felt superior when he could find a way to put down the other. The escalating malicious attitudes of Kent and Jack give us a picture of a feud. This happens when people harbor grudges against each other. Rather than seeking peace and forgiveness, they find ways to trade insults and seek revenge for each wrong of the other. One of the most famous feuds in American history concerns the families of the Hatfields and the McCoys in West Virginia and Kentucky. This feud lasted about 50 years and involved many murders. To better understand the book of Obadiah, we need to go back to the book of Genesis, to the story of Jacob's conflict with his twin brother Esau. The day came when Jacob and Esau were able to resolve their personal conflicts, but hatred continued to smolder between the two families for hundreds of years. Esau lost his birthright and his blessing to Jacob, and his family took every opportunity for revenge. When Jacob's descendants suffered humiliation and deportation at the hands of Babylon, the family of Esau helped their enemies in the attack and helped them catch those who tried to flee. It was the final insult. God pronounced doom on these fierce, revengeful people. That is like a summary of what we're going on and digging a little bit deeper into. Um, It seems that uh, the sin of Edom was pride. Let's begin reading in verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle." Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen, thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Thou hast, thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves come to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not have had not leave some grapes? How are these things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? We'll pause there a little bit, and we see that in verse 3, it says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Um, four things about their pride. One is that it says that they... They dwelt in the clefts of the rock. Um, I think their pride, number one, led them to trust their mountain fortress city. Their pride led them to trust their mountain fortress city. Has anyone in here been to the city of Petra? Have you heard about the city of Petra? Okay. What was unique about Petra? Petra was high up in the mountains. It was like a, a place that was protected. It's like this pulpit up here. It's a, it's a place that is high and has abrupt sides, and so it was hard for people to get there. And the only way for people to get through to the city of Petra was over here through a valley. There was a small, and I've seen pictures of it, there's a small entrance to, to it. So if you wanted to get up through there, you had to go through natural. They didn't build a wall, but it was a natural barrier, and there was a small place, and I'm, I'm talking 15, 20 feet wide, that everything had to go through that went to the city of Petra. So it says here that their pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, that thou dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. That saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? They were proud that they had that place and uh, that they uh, were, it seemed, impenetrable. 
The second thing that their pride did was in verse 10. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, thou shalt be cut off forever. They actually helped the enemy against Israel. They helped others conquer Jerusalem. They pitched in and, uh, and helped them. The third item of their pride was that, uh, was such that the heathen nations who had been their allies or who helped them actually began to despise them. And uh, in verse 1 it says, Arise ye and let us rise up against her in battle. So actually the ones that had helped them before, because of their pride and because of their arrogant attitude, they actually turned against them. And then the fourth thing that their pride did was that the Lord who was in control would bring them to defeat. And uh, we'll see that in the end of uh, verse 15 and 16. So we have their pride, first of all. And then we want, let's go on and read in uh, verse 7. All the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and prevailed against thee. They that eat thy bread have laid a wound under thee. There is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Teman, shall be destroyed, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. That's the verse that says that they were there against Jerusalem, with the, with the enemy, against Israel, against his distant cousin. Verse 12, But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother as in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the days of distress. Now we have a whole lot of thou shouldest not. Thou shouldest not. And if we see the things that he did in verse 13, the Edomites, it says, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. So when Babylon was there taking them away, Edom was there actually helping the Babylonians and carrying away things from their cousins, the Israelites. Verse 14, Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway, to cut off those of his that did escape. So the Jews were escaping from Jerusalem, and Edom stood and caught those Israelites and gave them to the Babylonians. Thou shouldest not have done that, it says in the last part of the verse, neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of this distress. So they should not have done then. And uh, I think Obadiah here is doing a very good job of telling the people what they should not have done. And it seems almost like here in verse 10 to 14 is like, is a trial. There's a courtroom. And the Edomites are there and they are being uh, accused of what they did wrong. And he's telling them what they did wrong. And the Israelites, I believe, were their witness. They were telling, they could have witnessed that, yes, you were there doing these things, and the judge was the Lord. It's like almost a accusation in a courtroom setting against, um, against Edom. And back then, and probably even now, it was a very wicked thing to betray your relatives. They knew they were distant cousins. At one time, Jacob and Esau had struggled against each other in, in the same womb at the same time. And it says in verse 10, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob. And so it wasn't like they were just unkind. It was violent. They were violent. And uh, 
This isn't the only place that it's recorded. I was uh, surprised that uh, in Psalm 137, and we think sometimes that Psalms are just Psalms, but in 137, it says, Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom in the day of Jerusalem who said, Raise it, raise it, even to the foundations thereof. So Psalm 137 was written in the setting of either in prophecy or after this was done and uh, refers to here what was done in the book of Obadiah. Now, I want you to turn back to Ezekiel chapter 35 and we want to see uh, that it seems to me that Ezekiel is referring to the exact same thing that Obadiah did and had. And so we have in Ezekiel 35... And as you remember and think about what we just talked about, think about it as we read these verses. Ezekiel 35, verse 3, And say unto it, this is Ezekiel prophesying, and uh, maybe we should explain something first, that in the land of Edom, in their country, one of the most prominent landmarks was Mount Seir. Mount Seir was in the land of uh, in the land of Edom. Now today, well, why didn't they say Edom? Well, sometimes we're the Midwest. Sometimes we're the Rust Belt. Sometimes we're Indiana. Sometimes we're Hoosiers. And so there are different terms that even today we know and you understand. But we have to get to know the landscape, and it's interesting to find these things. And so that is why in Ezekiel 35, verse 2, it says, Son of man, set thy face against Mount Seir, or he could have said Edom, and prophesy against it, and say unto it, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against thee, and I will stretch out mine hand against thee, and I will make thee most desolate. I will lay thy cities waste, and thou shalt be desolate, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, because thou hast the perpetual hatred and has shed the blood of the children of Israel by the force of the sword in the time of their calamity, in the time that their iniquity had an end. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will prepare thee unto blood, and blood shall pursue thee. Sith thou hast not hated blood, even blood shall pursue thee. Thus will I make Mount Seir most desolate, and cut off it from it him that passeth out and him that returneth. And I will fill this mountain with his slain men, in thy hills and in thy valleys, and in all thy rivers shall they fall that are slain with the sword. I will make thee perpetual desolations, and thy cities shall not return. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, because thou hast said, These two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess it, whereas the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord God, I will do even according to mine anger and according to thine envy, which thou hast used out of thy hatred against them, and I will make myself known among them when I have judged thee. And thou shalt know that I am the Lord, and that I have heard all thy blasphemies, which thou hast spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate, they are given us to consume. Thus with your mouth ye have boasted against me, and have multiplied your words against me, I have heard them. Thus saith the Lord God, When the whole earth rejoiceth, I will make thee desolate. As thou didst rejoice at the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so will I do unto thee. Thou shalt be desolate, O Mount Seir, and all Idumea, and all of it, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So we have here the prophecy that is right alongside of that of Obadiah, that Edom will someday be desolate. Did you see another name for Edom that rang a bell that's used in the New Testament? Did you notice it? Verse 15, Edumea, and we see that used in the New Testament. So Edom, Mount Seir, Edumea, all the same thing, all the same uh, country. Now it may not be the very same location, but he's referring to the same uh, scenario. Now, I'm going to pick on your memory a little bit again. When is one of the first times that we read about the country of Edom relating to the Israelites? Mm-hmm. What did the Edomites do? Their 
They refused to allow them to go through their land. Is that what you were going to say? They did not let Israel walk through their land. They asked, we will not do anything. We'll walk through and we'll have our own food. We'll have our own water and all of that. And, and Edom said, no, you run or we're, and we're, or we're going to come with our swords after you. So the animosity started way back then. And uh, this context of, of, of uh, this context of uh, Edom helping um, the Babylonians against Israel is that fall of, of Israel. It would have been this time right here. That's what they're talking about. When the Babylonians came and took Israel captive at the end of the kingdom of Israel, that's when this prophecy took place because of what Edom had done. They helped the Babylonians take the Israelites captive. They caught the strays. They took away their things. Okay, And so this prophecy happened. Actually, not long after that. Remember in the beginning we said that those that they had been with ended up hating them? The Babylonians came back and took the Edomites captive. Wiped up their land clean. This is around 500. Between 5 and 600 B.C. There was another war, and I'm not sure which one it was, about that time. And uh, between that time and the time of Jesus, that weakened them even further. To where there was not a country known as Edom. Now I know in Jesus' time they talked about Edomea. And that would have been that area, the red area. But actually what happened is in when, when the uh, Romans came and took Jerusalem in 70 A.D., the destruction of the temple, that the last of the Edomites were killed. And they're gone. No one today that claims that they are Edomites or descendants of Edom. They're totally exterminated, could we say, but they're gone. They're, they're not, they, you don't find anybody that says he's an Edomite. And uh, so uh, um, I find that very interesting that the prophecy that Obadiah is prophesying here actually happened. Look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. So the very thing happened that Obadiah had said. Now, we find some things very interesting. Turn back to Joel chapter 1. And uh, these uh, find it interesting to study these prophets in the sense that they work together. You know, there we had Ezekiel talking about the same thing Obadiah did. Here in Joel 1, verse 15, it says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. And so frequently, in, amongst the minor prophets, they talk about the day of the Lord. And that actually has two meanings. One, the day of the Lord could be when Israel was taken captive. Secondly, it could mean when the Lord comes again. But we notice how they talk again uh, amongst each other about the day of the Lord. And... Uh, so you wonder, well, if this was a prophecy just to Edom, how is it that we have it in the Bible and see it? Well, I believe that it's much the same today, that countries that turn against God, that turn against God's people, will be destroyed, will eventually fall, will be taken off of the map, will be overcome. Now, let's not just say, well, that was Edom, because lest we neglect that Israel was also sinful, that's why they were taken captive. That's why Babylon came and carried them away. The difference between Edom and Israel is that God brought a remnant back. Ezra, Nehemiah came back, built the temple, built the wall, and God established Israel again through the lineage of Jesus to us that are called the Israel of God. 
And but the prophecy on Edom were very final. Verse 17 points, I believe, to Israel's future deliverance. Let's read that. But unto Mount Zion, but upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and they shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of the host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Seraphad, shall possess the cities of the south. And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So we have there the coming back of the children of Israel uh, prophesied that they would come back and they would inhabit that area that at one time was Edom's and uh, was there. But what I find very interesting, as I mentioned, is the scriptures that parallel, the other prophets that parallel what Obadiah says. Now, I am going to read a portion out of Jeremiah, but I want you to look at verse 1, 2, 3, and 4 and pick out the things that are similar. You'll hear how that it seems that it worked together. Okay? Just scan or skim or be attentive to verse 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I'm going to read out of Jeremiah 49, 14 through 16. And you notice how certain things are alike. I have heard a rumor from the Lord, an ambassador is sent unto the heathen, saying, Gather you together, and come up against her, and rise up to the battle. I will make thee small among the heathen, and despised among men. Thy terribleness hath deceived thee in the pride of thine heart, O thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, and holdest the height of the hill. Though thou shouldest make thy nest as high as the eagle, I will bring thee down from thence, saith the Lord." Seems like they're influenced by each other, doesn't it? Seems like they knew what one had written, who was first. I don't know. We can go by these timelines, yes. But what I like about it is that it's the word of the Lord. And they both had it. They both had it. Now, just be attentive to verse 5 and 6. And I'll read 49, verse 9 and 10. If grape gatherers come to thee, and would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they have enough. But I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His seed is spoiled, and his brethren and his neighbors, and he is not. They're saying the same thing. If a thief comes, he still lets the house stand. If the grape gatherers pick grapes, they still let some hang. But you weren't that way. You took everything. But notice the similarity there. Now that you're used to it, these next ones are a little bit harder. Verse 8 and 9. And I'll read out of Jeremiah 49. Verse 8 and 9. Just look at them. Pick out what's similar. Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Teman? Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom banished? Behold, he shall come up and fly as the eagle and spread his wings over Bozrah. And at that day shall the heart of the mighty men of Edom be as the heart of a woman in her pangs. And so you see that these men obviously were directed by God and spoke the same prophecies, spoke the same things, were obviously going down the same road. Now, we have seen and looked at the book of of Obadiah in a way that I wish we could all the others. We've kind of looked at the whole scenario. But I like to pick out yet the key verses. Verse 10, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. He's telling the people of Esau or Edom that they're going to be cut off. They're going to be destroyed. Then in verse 15, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. He's telling them what's going to happen. And... uh, 
During this time of our presidential election and our discouragement of candidates and values and uh, what is right and what is wrong and seemingly wrong choices, I found a comfort in the book of Obadiah. Knowing that the Lord is king, knowing that the Lord moves these nations, Edom was a country that was wicked, and yet they prophesied that if you don't repent, you're going to lose out. God is going to totally take you off the face of the earth. And uh, so we see that God rules even in kingdoms that don't follow him. One verse that could very well um, be and say what this book is about is in Proverbs 17, verse 5. Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. And so today there's no more trace of Edom. Pride goes before a fall. Um, how is it? Pride goes before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. And so God dealt with them, took care of Edom because they did not serve him. I think they had options. They were the son of, son of Isaac as much as Jacob was. And they had the opportunity to follow him. But Edom turned away, took wife of the Canaanites, took wives of, uh, of uh, actually one of his... Uh, Wives was another daughter of Ishmael, somehow. And so we have um, the choices that they make in early life are what determine their future as a kingdom. And God destroyed them and said, You're going, I'm not going to keep you upon the earth. Obviously, there's more prophecies. If you're interested, write it down. Isaiah 34 is very much written like Ezekiel 35 was against Edom and against them. So Obadiah's prophecy was one of popularity, one that um, was common amongst the prophets, and one that uh, God was definitely God-given. In closing... 2 Timothy chapter 3. Sometimes we look at these uh, books of the Old Testament, think that they are um, the minor prophets, and there's probably reasons that that people have not given them much attention. But as I mentioned at the beginning, they become like old friends as I've studied them. And we don't want to discredit them. And that's what brings us to the scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's say it together, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be truly furnished unto all good works. I trust that you have seen that pride goes before destruction, seen that we want to uh, get along with our brother, not be like Edom and Israel. And I trust that you have possibly some other spiritual value in your heart and lesson from what you studied in Obadiah. Yes, Richard. I found it very interesting that these uh, two people, uh, groups were fighting of Esau and uh, But maybe it goes back into before they were born. Where they... they it says here in Genesis 25, it says they struggled mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And when they were born, uh, Jacob grabbed a hold of Esau's heel. Mm-hmm. And us as parents, uh, it says that Jacob Were they, were they uh, getting them together against each other already? Or are we 
Mhm. Mhm. Ja. To be partial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously took sides with the boys. Very good point. It refers to that also in the New Testament where it says, Esau, uh, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And uh, even before the boys could do wrong, and yet the Lord knew what they were going to do, and that's where that is. But, uh, yes. Edom given an opportunity for repentance. Okay, good question. Is Edom given an opportunity for repentance? I honestly think so because Obadiah prophesied this to them before it happened. Um, it doesn't have the call to repentance like... Um, was that Joel? But he obviously, this was a prophecy against them, and they could have had the opportunity, I believe. I didn't know if you found it in Ezekiel uh, or uh, which one of the other prophets it was. Isaiah. I did not see it, but I wasn't point-blank looking for it like we're talking about it now. It was mostly just like Obadiah, destruction. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be eliminated. Nobody's going to know where you're at. There is, um, that's, uh, that's a good question. I think that's the kind of thing you put in your mind, and in the next year as you read your Bible, you're going to pick up when it says, Mount Seir, come back to me, or Edom, or... or uh, um, it's the kind of thing that you put in the pot and it's going to someday ripen. Yes? Uh, in, in one of the books, it says something about the fruit of the sycamore tree. Yes. That, uh, we're cutting firewood right now and we're cutting sycamore. Okay. And I didn't know what these little things was. But, and it, it brought, yesterday again, it brought my mind back to what we were reading. Uh huh. That was uh, Amos, right? Yeah. It was a gather of sycamore fruit. Do our sycamore trees here have fruit? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're about this big row. I see. If, if I could have found one that wasn't uh, deteriorated, uh-huh. I brought one with me. It's probably the wrong time of the year. Yeah. They, at that time, they were, a cheap fruit, they were a cheap food for people that just needed to stay alive. It wasn't a delicacy. Or for animals as well. So uh, that was the history I knew of the sycamore fruit of Amos as the gatherer of sycamore fruit. So um, that's part of the description. I don't know. I haven't heard of anything. Of course, just in the last two or three years that I've heard of pawpaws and how good they are. I haven't had any that you know grow wild here. So uh, um, that's all I know about it. But yeah, I'd be. I'll have to watch our trees if we have. It's the ones that are white with a gray bark. Looks like they're peeling. Okay. Something comes up like that, I I like That's good. If I see something, hey, it brings my mind back. That's right. That's good. God gave us that capacity to keep those things. So we're going to look for if there's repentance requested of of uh, Edom, and uh, if you ever find that, let us know. I'd like to uh, to uh, publish that. Anyone else? Going to the ingredients of the book, um, hopefully you've looked for that. Warning of impending, number one, warning of impending judgment because of the nation's sinfulness. What was going to happen? What was the warning of, what was the judgment? What was going to happen? Just quickly, anyone. Total destruction. destruction. Number two, description of the sin. What was their sin? Pride. Pride. Number three, a description, description of the coming judgment. I know this is redundant with number one. Just total destruction. Number four, and, and uh, like, your, like your thought, Paul, a call for repentance. Do you see it here? That was a question that Paul asked. Do we see a call for repentance? 
Maybe we could say indirectly. Verse 15 and 16, I would say, would be an indirect request of repentance. It's almost like Edom knew what they would, should do if, they, uh, if they're exposed. Number five, a promise of future deliverance. Where's the promise of future deliverance? It's there. Verse 21, And saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's part of repentance. Saviors shall come up on Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau. I think they had opportunity to repent of their sins. Thank you for your thoughts. Let's kneel for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prophet Obadiah and his willingness to preach your word, to show the vision that you gave him, to be used of you, to tell the people of Esau what their sin was. And Lord, even though we don't see that repentance, we're sure that you gave them that opportunity because you don't seal anyone until they're sealed with death. And so Lord, we pray that you would give us a uh, vision to see that in scripture if we can. And give us the revelation that you call us to repent of our spirit of pride and arrogance, even as Edom should have, and that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Help us to understand, Lord, that you care for us, that you want to save us, that you want us in glory with you. And Lord, we pray that as he preached to the Edomites, that it might also be for us today. And might we learn a spiritual lesson that would go with us from here on. Bless those that are not here with us this morning for various reasons. Might you just uh, encourage, strengthen them. Might they have had a time of worship this morning as well that would draw them closer to you. Bless our visitors for being here. And that together we might be drawn to you to be faithful and be ready when you come come back to take us home. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.